the, well, I think it was Jake's request for O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The end of our singing was appropriate in that we're covering part of that portion of Isaiah. Isaiah 8 and 9 this morning. And uh, it wasn't the desire to fit in with a certain Christmas carol that drove me here. Um, in my very pockets, let's say, I have two tickets that uh, Les and I used last night. Um, for Handel's Messiah over in Pullman. Washington Idaho Symphony did it with the, what was it called? The Mid Columbia something chorale or some kind of uh, choir come in from Tri Cities. And they did the whole Messiah. It was, uh, you know, the, the quality could have been lifted up a bit, but when you're doing Handel, it's all really good. It's just really good. <laughs> Their soloists were really uh, impressive. Um, um, but when you're sitting there as a Christian, knowing that it's the holidays, and a lot of people are there because it's the holidays, and of course listening to Handel's Messiah is one of the things even the ungodly do. They sing it, they listen to it, they applaud it, they like its function in the culture of our, of our uh, Northern European uh, world. But uh, I was sitting there, we, we were with the Hagens, uh, Tim and Stephanie, and, and uh, Stephanie said later, and I, I thought this later as well, you know, you're looking at the choir and you're wondering, who's a believer up there? And you're trying to read the faces, because when they're, it's all, Messiah is all scripture, and they're just singing Portions of scripture, it's wonderful. Making great statements about the work of Christ on the cross. Just, it's tremendous. Um, and I, I thought I spotted a few, and I thought, you know, I could be wrong. I'm not a prophet. I, I don't really have discernment of spirits. But you could see certain people just light up when they sang of the Lord. Everybody enjoyed the music, but certain people lit up when the Lord Jesus Christ was... Uh, lifted up and handled, did a job of that. Well, part of it, part of it is out of Isaiah. Um, the, uh, Isaiah 9, down there at the bottom, the, for unto us a child is born. And when they sing, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, uh, it is, uh, we'll move you to tears. So that was on my mind, you know, and then Stephanie afterwards said, why don't you, why don't you just, well, I don't, why don't you, why don't you do a, a, like a sermon series going through all the passages in the Messiah? I said, you don't go to my church. <laughs> and you're giving me orders about what kind of, you know, two-year system of following Handel's Messiah's passages. But I thought I would at least uh, rub some salt in her wound by covering one of them. And then I was looking at the passage this morning and looking at when I preached on it last and it was five days less than ten years ago. December 19th, 2004. So here we are. 
Isaiah 8, starting around verse 9. In the first eight verses of Isaiah 8, let me read them to you. And then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write upon it in common characters belonging to Mahashala Hashbaz. And I got reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest, Zariah, and Zechariah the son of Jerbekiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahashal or Hashbaz, for before the child knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, Because this people have refused the waters of Shiloh, that flow gently, and melt in fear before Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all of his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overthrow, overflow, and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Well, Emmanuel, you know that was introduced in the earlier part of Isaiah. The name means God with us. And that is the verses prior to what we're covering. So I, I wanted you to know, other than the, the work of the Assyrians and the invasion of the Assyrians under Tiglath-Pileser and Shalmaneser and Sennacherib, Sargon, um, you don't need to know all that for this morning. This is over 2,000 years, more than, well, it's probably 27, 2,800 years since these things happened. But Isaiah was also looking and warning the people in such a way that when the Christ came, he pointed back to this passage. Let's look at verse 9. Be broken, you peoples, and be dismayed. Give ear, all you far countries, gird yourselves and be dismayed. Gird yourselves and be dismayed. Take counsel together, and it will come to naught, but it will come to naught. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Now, my translation has, for God is with us, but the previous paragraph it ended with Emmanuel, and it is actually the word Emmanuel here. I don't know why they translated it as God with us, because he seems to be, you know, Malachal or Hashbaz and Emmanuel and Emmanuel, and then he speaks of his children being signs and symbols a little bit later in this passage. So whatever you take, I wanted to put that note in there for your, your thought, your meditation, but the announcement that leads up to chapter 9, 6, that great passage, this announcement has a has a, a benefit to us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of his people, saying, do not call conspiracy what this people call conspiracy and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. One of the things that you'll notice as you look at Black Friday, Christmas shopping, the knives come out, the coveting comes out, the joy of giving gifts as well. A lot of it comes out 
positive opportunity, negative opportunity, people desperate, desperate to find a way out of the darkness they're in. And it's so annoyingly present at Christmas time when everything is lit. You know, everything's sparkly lights on trees and even on Macy's and, and still people are walking in darkness. And Christmas time always seems to be a a very dark time. A lot of people have a hard emotional time getting through Christmas. Because they don't have anything. Not because they don't have an iPad. It's because they have a way that this people is. When it says, do not walk in the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear. Don't dread what they dread. People worry about things. Especially at Christmas. And we're not supposed to label the world like they label the world. The world's problems aren't our problems. Or we might be looking at the exact same phenomena in history. Look at that. That war. That famine. That disease. You're Christians. You don't call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. You don't dread what they dread. You don't fear what they fear. Why is this? Verse 13. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. So the Christian, the people of God, the kingdom of heaven, is supposed to walk in the same world as everybody else. We're supposed to be labeling things different. We're supposed to end up not walking in the way of this people. And our basic place of being, it's not just be different. Everybody wants to be different. Everyone wants to, uh, and then the more they want to be different, what's the phrase, the more they are the same. That's just, um, I was, people who think that they are striking out and being unique um, in their um, position taking when I was talking to a young man the other day and his positions were so predictable I mean they were so very much trendy with where evangelical trends are going and he was thinking that he was the avant-garde he was, he was uh, standing against the man really was just reflecting the man We're not supposed to view the world the way the world views the world. We're supposed to let God be our sanctuary or God be our stone of offense in verse 14. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's interesting. He calls it a sanctuary and then a stumbling block. This passage is quoted in 1 Peter. I have it on the side here, 1 Peter 2, where it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a sign, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, therefore, who believe, he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, and, quoting from Isaiah 8, a stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall. 
For they stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is the theme, that, that's how Peter describes this passage. Applied to us in Christ, how where we go back into Isaiah 8, we see the sanctuary and a stone of offense, and you will see he makes some men stumble and fall. It is because they disobey the word. But for those who believe, he is very precious. We have a different, we're measuring the exact same things differently. We're seeing the world differently than the world sees it. We look at this, and a lot of people see the steeple, they see the church, they see the pews, they see us calling ourselves all souls Christian, and it's, oh yeah, a church. And we say, oh yeah, a church. But we mean something very different. We're looking at the souls here who have been turned out of darkness into his marvelous light. We know that it's about the light, not about the service or how much Jesus makes us feel. It's what Jesus truly is to us. To those who have believed, those who disobey the word have stumbled over him. Verse 15 of Isaiah 8. And many shall stumble thereon, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. It is only right that Christmas be a dark and disturbing time. Everybody's stumbling around in the dark. Most of the people in this world, because they're not listening to God, they don't look for the light, the sanctuary of Christ. They don't look for it. They try to illuminate their life by whatever good deeds they're trying to do and their family values they're trying to create. And if only my family can look like the commercial, whatever commercial you prefer. But they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. The promise of the coming Christ was a promise of absolute calamity for most people. Only for those who believed the word, who waited for the Lord, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. That's the role of Malashal or Hashbaz and Emmanuel, sons of Isaiah, who were living out with these names, God with us, and what's, what's Malashal or Hashbaz? The spoil speeds, the prey hastes. It's not really a catchy, catchy phrase. Malashal or Hashbaz is a pretty catchy name. But God with us is, rivet, is riveting to us. But these children were there as signs and portents to everyone. There was a coming darkness. People who did not know what was coming in Christ. That Christ came was not light for everybody. 
When they say to you, verse 19, consult the mediums and wizards who chirp and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. One of the great phrases of the scriptures. To the teaching and to the testimony. Have you listened to God? Don't consult. Remember, you're not to define the world the way the world defines the world. We're looking at the same phenomena. We're looking at the crisis of many people's lives. We can't say, well, don't you see Jesus in Christmas? No, because they don't see Jesus in Christmas. They want to remove God. They'd rather go talk to the mediums and the wizards who chirp and mutter. And Isaiah's natural response is, well, is not listening to God better? Shouldn't you consult God? And that's what we should be encouraging each other to do. Our lives are to not think like the world, label things like the world. If we're going to exist in the light of God at Christmas time, we need to label it the way he labels it, understand it the way he understands it. To the teaching and to the testimony. Does your mind naturally turn to a passage of scripture, not a proof text, not a, you know, the cheap little, you know, bread of life loaf that sits on your counter and you pull out a verse each day and read it and kind of like a fortune cookie for Christians. It's not Bible memory passages, but your time in the teaching and in the testimony, such a part of your life that, that you speak in references to the scripture. Because it is important that you stand against the dark by the presence of what is light. Not that the light is going to make the dark less dark. It's going to be so dark in that. It's going to be so much of a stumbling. They consult the dead on behalf of the living. To the teaching and to the testimony, surely, for this word which they speak there is no dawn. Oh, what an awful promise. This is, Merry Christmas. The word they speak, there is no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will curse their king and their god and turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Again, Merry Christmas. If you do not find the definitions of your God, if you do not find, what does he call it? The teaching of the testimony. If you do not listen to what God has said and dread him and fear him, regard him as holy. And a lot of Christians seem to think that the most trendy recent idea that the world can come up with to define the new morality, whatever the world thinks, the Christians fearfully trot right behind it and say, oh yeah, well really, we're, we're, the Christians, we're really rethinking the whole thing about, you know, homosexual marriage. Well, oddly enough, the world just thought that a few years ago. Look at anything in the Christian church and go, hold it, is that just five years later than what the world thought? 
because we're desperate to, to please them, to see the world the way they see it, because they might not like us. They might not value what Jesus is doing unless we view their world, their way. Their way has no dawn. Have you looked at suicide rates? All the things that they're bowing down and worshiping, either, you know, transsexual people or whatever. The, you don't meet any old ones. They kill themselves. Because it's darkness they're following after. It's distress, enraged, cursing God and the king, desperately looking up and down in a gloom of anguish, thrust into a thick darkness. Don't think like they think. We're looking at the same world. There's just as much calamity. There's murder, there's death, there's war, there's disease. There's people doing evil, to evil, but we see things differently. We define things differently. And the next verse, Isaiah 9, 1, but there will be no gloom for her that was in anguish. Now, I don't know who the her is. It's hard to tell from the East English text. I, I don't know Hebrew. <laughs> but he's already made a split difference between those for whom this prophecy is a sanctuary and those for whom, which means a, a place of safety. and those for whom it's a stumbling block. We've already talked about those for whom it is a stumbling block, who are not going to the teaching and not going to the testimony, not fearing God, not dreading God, which I think I always remind. I, I think, uh, Glenda, you're a Monroe, right? That their motto is dread God. Great motto, you know. Just. If you come up with a motto, come up with stuff like that. Dread God. Well, they don't, so it's not a... They're just wandering around in darkness, making it up as they go, planning a calamity for themselves late in life. The different, it's a different word for anguish. It's a different word for gloom, but there's obviously a pattern there. When it says, these people were in the gloom of anguish, but there was no gloom for, she, for her that was in anguish. And it may be tying this into the wife of the prophet, who has borne these prophetic kids, um, Mrs. Isaiah, I guess, um, uh, who has been through um, this birth and that kind of anguish. I don't know. I, you can give some thought to it. But it says, there will be anguish and darkness for these people and not for her. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the later time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now that is quoted, Matthew, someplace, Matthew, uh, we have the reference, Matthew 4. If you, I didn't type out the whole thing because I'm lazy. Matthew 4. 12, and when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and dwelt in Capernaum by the sea, 
in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, toward the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. This passage in the 700s BC with Isaiah, he was going to, the Jews were going to face any number of greater and greater oppressing nations and empires. They're under Assyria right now. Assyria is going to be replaced by Babylon. Babylon is going to be replaced by Persia. Persia is going to be replaced by Greece. Greece was going to get replaced by Rome. And then, Jesus. That the disciples of Jesus knew what this was talking about. It was a long-term prophecy. And look at what it says in Matthew at the very end. The people who have sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. End quote. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the kingdom that is being announced in Isaiah. The kingdom of our God in Christ. A completely different lit experience. It has taken the darkness that we were a part of, and it has illuminated in a way that is clear about what is true. God is God, you are not. Righteousness is righteousness. He is there to be believed. He is there to be followed, trusted, obeyed, feared. A light has shined on us. But there's different kinds of people. And most people, out of their fear of their fellow man, their fear of being left behind, their fear of not being current, the fear of whatever it is you fear, that you want to cobble together some sort of extra thick goggles so that you cannot see the light that entered the world 2,000 years ago, whatever, and then feel your way through life on your own best lights, your own best idea of what's true. Oh, you'll live a normal life in length, probably, unless you're doing some really big mistakes, but you might be lying there in a bed in your mid-80s, dying, and not understanding a bit of it. That's what's a blessing about taking care of my father. Because he knows the Lord and has served the Lord, and although I have to help him do the most basic of human tasks. He's, one, ready for death. Two, ready to stay and benefit the kingdom. Understands the light. He's got no famous ministry. He's got no great headquarters. He hasn't followed anything that the world has tried to import to the church for the sake of God's kingdom, but God, God's kingdom has been served. The light was seen. And when the light's seen, it doesn't matter whether you work at, well, there's a place you could work. Uh, 
the mall. You work at the mall. You work in some corporate business. You could work as a professional. You could, you could uh, be in real estate. Whatever it is you have chosen to be in, those are all things that are efforts of the world to build satisfactions. We have them because we're good to have a job, good to pay our bills. But that's not our kingdom. It's like the illumination of Jesus Christ has defined com a completely other importance. Thou hast multiplied the nation, thou hast increased its joy. They rejoice before thee as with joy at the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. This is, you know, Christmas splits between those who listen to the teaching and the testimony, those who fear their God, and those who decided not to. Absolute darkness, gloom of anguish on one side of the picture, and we're walking right next to them with this, this giddy thrill. The kind of giddy thrill of the sun coming up in the morning. We had a counseling situation last night, not over time, but it kept us up late. We were up till 12.30. All the time in the back of my mind going, Evan, you have to get up at 6.30 to do sermon prep. So when 6.30 hit, which was really my wife's fist, <laughs> it was dark at 6.30. It was dark when I staggered out of the bathroom, at which point she said, I'm resetting the alarm for eight. Well, not my alarm, obviously I was up. But as I was doing sermon prep down in the library, the sun came up. And at this time of year, it sneaks through the trees over by B Street and just knocks you in the eye from where my chair is. Just it's a relief. All that, you know, you can't wake up, you're drinking coffee, you feel like someone beat you with an axe handle. The sun's up. Isn't that what Ronald Reagan said? No, he's, not a, he's a prophet of one of, not of the church, but it's morning in America. What does that make you feel like? Those of you who are morning people who like getting up in the wee hours and then the sun comes up. That's, our joy is in it. Or those of you who grow things, harvesting it, right? Re, rejo they rejoice before thee as with joy at the harvest. I don't grow things. I count on Safeway to do that. And those of you who do and are nice to me, not interested in zucchini, okay? Just a thought. Think of the different ways when men understand the rejoicing part, they understand what it, what it would feel like. I want you to understand what it should be feeling like so that you go back to your Christian life and go, does it feel like that? Is it that kind of joy? Like when the sun comes up in the morning? Two, like it's at harvest? And for those of you who have more martial interest, as am I, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. That means when we took stuff from other people, beat them up, oh, probably left them dead. And we're dividing their stuff. What a good time. It's like piracy, right? You all like the joy of piracy? 
Now you probably, I don't, I don't know if this is ethical. <laughs> to the teaching, to the testimony, shut the heck up. This is, this is a great moment. This is the triumph. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, thou hast broken as on the day of Midian. The day of Midian? When Gideon took Midian to the cleaners. When you won something big. By the way, Navy beat Army. I don't know, Tim Tate tried to tell me two weeks ago that Army had beaten Navy. I'm going, he's in the Army. I didn't understand because the game hadn't been played yet, but we beat him again. And it felt good to taste their tears and hear the lamentations of their women. Because that's what Christianity is all about. The joy of your enemies defeated and taking their stuff and dividing the earrings up because you know the little lady at home wants their earrings. Joy. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, a lot, I don't know if you women, some of you might be Bodiseas or something akin, Amazonians, a little more vigorous. Some of you might go, I, I don't like this. And some of the women among the men might have a hard time with this being the imagery, fine, it's an image, but it's rolling up the uniforms of the enemy in the blood and using it, logs on the fire. The Yule log. Because this is Christmas, right? Christmas time. We're going to burn all their stuff that we don't want. Covered in their blood. For, <laughs> why is this such a joy? For to us a child is born. Baby Jesus, which allows us to burn our enemy's clothes, rolled in blood. We don't, we don't rewrite the sentence to go back around and pick up the imagery, but pick up the joy. If you don't like the imagery, I remind you, you might want to reconsider whether or not you are viewing things as God wants you to view them, or is your objection to having battle imagery here because the world has told you that Christianity, if it doesn't want to be accused of being as bad as Islam, had better be all St. Francis of Assisi about things. All, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Now, I'm not arguing that Christianity is to really go out there and beat up its enemies. No. But the imagery, the joy of it, you don't want to put, you don't want to put the imagery aside, okay, but find something that describes joy to you in the kingdom of God being announced. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. This could have been anybody. This could have been given. He's been talking about Malashander Hashbaz and Emmanuel. And Emmanuel was a kind of double fulfillment, you know, portrayed Christ, God with us. Isaiah might not have entirely known. It talks about the, the, the prophets not really knowing what they were talking about, but they knew they were talking about something for much later. 
His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just in case God with us was not concrete enough. His government. The light of Christmas. Anyway, I don't know if next sermon, next Sunday sermon will be on Christmas. So if you don't know, you want to count on this, call this your Christmas sermon. The light of Christmas is the government of Jesus Christ coming in power for those who have hoped in him, feared him, obeyed him, saw things the way he saw it, considered what he had said about all, and rejoiced in, with kind of a, whatever kind of description of rejoicing you want to give it. But like the sun coming up, this light dawned for you. You are the believers. Those who have believed, this is a light. Those who did not obey the word did not see the light. But it's a government that he came to do. Right? The government will be on his shoulder. And in case you are wondering whether he was qualified, he is the mighty God the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's the point of all government. Peace. All, all governments are. That's why you govern things, is to put things into categories and order and limitations and restrictions and borders and fight wars because you want peace. You want this people in your, inside your government to be at ease. And this is what Christ came to do. To have an imperial, growing government of man that brought peace. And we know what that government is. We, we see the fulfillment of this in Christ. We know that those who have believed in him, who accepted his Holy Spirit, found that the government really was what he says in, in Luke, the kingdom of God is within you. When he says that, he means that. This kingdom that lit your life, like the sun coming up, like taking other people's stuff, like gathering in the zucchini at harvest, our God, our peace, came to build a kingdom of souls in the soul. Not build a utopian kingdom on the ground with a palace and Jesus reigning in the palace someplace. But still the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. There will be imperial. We're here today, 2,000 years after he came, because of the imperial nature of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And we are here in this town, on campus, in the downtown, in the business world, in our neighborhoods, because in us, Jesus Christ is invading the governments of this world. We're not offering them a church government. We're not offering them Christianized the theocracy and the political government. We're offering them the light of the dawn of Christ in our lives, the teaching and the testimony.
the belief in him, the fear of him. There'll be no end to this. And this child, that's what he's offered. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now, it's not up to us. We're living in it. We just have to see it. We have to, <clears throat> you will be participating in it if you see it. It's not the church that you belong to that's going to go out there and make Jesus Christ a movement. No. This light is there. This light doesn't need to have people talked into seeing it for it to exist. It already exists. For the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Not your zeal. The zeal of the Lord. He will bring Christ to pass. He will have him die for your sins. He will raise him on the third day. He will ascend to be with the Father. He will come again in glory. He will do that. That's his kingdom. And he is handing this, standing in the world right now with this light, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins, life eternal. He's handing that out. Well, there it is. On every street corner in small town America, there's a church that believes in that. People who evangelize with that. They're handing the light of the kingdom. A recognition that the sun came up. That you won the war. That you've just had harvest. The Lord of hosts is doing it in you. I've seen people who are so panicked and so pushy about spreading the kingdom of God that they have no peace and it ends up being darkness. You see all sorts of sin and decay inside Christian. I was talking to Maya a little bit about some of the places her sister has worked in Christian circles and just not a real pleasant experience working with some major Christian organizations. Why? Because they're not living in the light of Jesus. It's not the zeal of the Lord of hosts doing this. It's the way they want to do it. It's not the dawn of Jesus Christ. It's not the harvest of Jesus Christ. It's not the war victory of Jesus Christ. It's something else. Under his name. If you get peace and righteousness out of it. If you get this rejoicing out of it. If you know you have feared God more than you feared the world. God may be working in you. Be looking for that. This Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Lord. We're very thankful for you, son. Centuries of you laying yourself out to your prophets, what you were going to do. 700 years, Lord, before our Christ, telling Isaiah this. We're also thankful that you gave Handel such a gift that he could remind us of what you did. So beautiful. It's not a big thing, Lord, but it thrills the heart of those who have seen light, who know the dawn of your Son. We'd ask that you would have us meditate on whether our life stands in that light 
or whether it doesn't. Whether we have believed on you or whether we disobey your word. Lord, we are grateful. Bless us all and these families, wherever we end up this holiday, in your son's name. Amen.